Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Aziz, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Josh Keeley. Josh is one of the co-founders of a recruitment business that specializes in the cybersecurity space called Trident Search. They've been building this business over the last four years, and in their first year, they did 350k net fee income, the second year, 1.25 million, the third, 1.8, and they're looking to close out their fourth year at 2.5. I absolutely love Josh's passion for the recruitment industry and also for his industry. Something that he's really proud of is committing to his niche and something that he really advocates with his team. And we talk about how all of you listening can achieve that in your own industry and why that's important. What I also love about Josh's take on upskilling and getting the most out of his team is the importance of developing business acumen. He shares with us that he doesn't train recruitment and he trains commercial acumen. He talks about what the VCs do, what the private equity companies do, how does a P&L work, how do threat intelligence businesses make money, and really educate his team on the problems that they solve, rather than being entirely focused on filling jobs. I absolutely love Josh's mindset, and there's so many great takeaways to walk away with here even if you are an aspiring recruiter, top performer, or even in the trenches of running your own recruitment business, I'm really looking forward to all of you listening to this episode. Enjoy. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to breaking down this journey that you've been on. I want to give everyone some immediate career highlights for Josh. So you you let me know if I get anything wrong. But I think firstly, which I'm excited just to understand your experience or at least get your perspective on but before you entered the the recruitment world you worked in the, the military for six years that's correct yeah so you then entered the the recruitment industry in 2016 and then you've been in it ever since climbed the ranks in in one agency mm-hmm. then you started your own business within that business yep is that right yeah yep and then you started trident i want to make sure i get the year right here what year did you start Trident? Jan 2020. Jan 2020. A couple of okay. months before lockdown. Yeah, yeah, cool. So Jan 2020. So highlighting that, first year you ended up with around four people, mm-hmm. 350 grand net fee income because we did an NFI, didn't we? Yeah, we, we did, did NFI, NFI, yeah. yeah I, could, cool. I could talk to you about total later. That's right. And then second year ended around eight people, 1.25 net fee income. Third year, 1.8 million net fee income, 14 people. Fourth, uh, We're in the fourth year now. In our fourth year now. In, yeah. our, in your fourth year now. I think you said you're aiming for 2.5 yep. million net fee income is a big goal. Yep. Aiming to get around 25 heads. Yep. And then just a bit more context. Right now it's around 80, 20, 80 being perm. I do around 6% of your business in the meal. Um, another, uh, and then the 40% in uh, US. Yep. You do provide different solutions, different products. 
you know, you have contingent recruitment exclusive, but also then you have, I think you call it RPO or like, you know, a talent partnership model yeah. that you also have that you've had some some really good success with. And your world is everything threat intelligence. Yes, my personal world, yes. But we've since expanded and grown into wider disciplines across cybersecurity. But um, but yeah, cybersecurity as a whole. Yeah. Okay, cool. Love that. So Josh, let, let's start with this, this this million pound question first then. Like from your perspective, what characteristics and traits make up a highly successful recruit in today's market? So I'll try and stay away from the typical characteristics that everyone says. And I'll tell you the kind of, what does it actually take in my opinion, right? Mm. So what we try to drive into everybody at Trident and what do we look for when we hire people? So first one is we look for people who are obsessed. So an obsession with your job, your community, what you're doing. And that doesn't mean you have to work crazy, crazy hours. But what I mean by that is it's a hard job to switch off, right? So in my opinion, the people that I've seen and my experience and people we have now who are the top performers are obsessed with what they do mm. and they do work long hours, right? Um, there is no way of getting around that, but you could be obsessed nine to five, but you'd have to be super disciplined and structured, right? So obsession for mm. sure, domain expert, so whatever you do, whether it's finance, you just recruit interim accounts payables, or if you recruit pen testers in the cybersecurity market, you have to be a domain expert in exactly what you are recruiting the people to the point where you can come off a briefing call visualizing exactly what that person will be doing when you get them a job. So what they're doing when they open up their keyboard, laptop, day one, what are they doing? So a domain expert in that sense. And then the one that I think is the most important for us and where I see most recruiters fail is the business acumen. Mm. So what I mean by that is what's a PL? What's profit? What's loss? What's net versus GP, etc. And we're kind of that's where we'll come into it in a bit about training and stuff. But that's where we train our team on the most. Not mm. recruitment, not necessarily the market, but or how do businesses operate? And therefore, and we can come into it in a, in a little bit. But just understanding how your clients work as a business and why, and the the kind of the what ifs, and then mm. okay, if we what's the implications if we can't find someone? So obsession. The domain expertise and business acumen is probably the most important. I would say the top three. If you want to chuck another one in there, I would say you have to be known for, for like for something. So for me, you touched on it a little bit, but when I started Trident, I was only doing threat intelligence within cybersecurity. So some people would say that's a very small market. Mm. It's a very it's a niche within a niche, but just drill down into that and be known for something. So you got the CTI community here or cyber threat intelligence. I was the person in the middle. Mm. So eventually, in a very short space of time, everyone was looking internally at me and it's referrals, it's word of mouth, etc. Mm. So it's some great things yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go into the mindset and methodology around the commercial acumen because I, I think mm. that's actually a really mm. great tip for people. So I'm, I'm excited to go into like why you, you've uh, lent into that and, and what that then means for the team. Sure. But just before we go into all the recruitment stuff, I want, I want to make sure I just ask because I'm, I'm just genuinely curious and I know now that in the world that you're in, you do a lot with people that have served. Mm. So like it's, it's a big part of your story, right? So yeah. I want to make sure that we at least touch on that. But I guess all I'm like at all curious about, I don't have any friends that, that served and you often hear, I feel like the perception can be for people that it can be difficult to transition into like the workplace, yeah. like post serving, whatever that looks like. So I don't want to assume that you had a challenge with that, but that that's my question really. Like what, what was it like for Josh entering like the workplace after working in the Marines for six years? Like, was that difficult? What was that experience mm. like? Would you mind just sharing there? Cause I know that's yeah, yeah. then you actively speak to people and work with people that 
who previously served, right? Yeah. So it's a big part of the story. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm happy to tell my story, so to speak. We'll take it back a, like, a little bit. Mm. So what did I do in the Marines? I was heavy weapons. I served more maritime, so I was doing counter-piracy. Somalia, Libya, when Colonel Gaddafi in 2014. Mm. So I did a lot on the in the Gulf of Aden and, and all around there in the Middle East. But when I left, I actually resettled, or we call it resettlement, right? So when you leave, depending on how long you served and where you served, you'll get a, like a resettlement grant. So basically... A certain amount of money to then go and do courses, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I had, I think, £6,000. And I remember quite vividly talking to one of the guys that had already left. And I was like, shit, you're making a load of money. You're wearing a Rolex. You're wearing some cool clothes. Like, what do you do? And he was like, oh, I'm in IT. And I was like, I'm going to do IT. <laughs> yeah, right? Little did I know, I left and I actually took a pay cut. I think I started, I worked at Cisco. I started on like 22K. <laughs> I was like, fuck off. I <laughs> <laughs> um, but I went and done like a 12-week course up in Lincoln, spent six grand. I was a network and firewall engineer. Worked at Cisco for four or five months. And I suppose the only difficulty I had when I kind of resettled, I was very lucky, was I didn't realise that most of your time as an IT engineer is you're on your own. You're travelling mm. to customer sites around London. You're in a van and you've got your tool bag. It's cool when you're on site and you're in the server rooms and you're switching out routers and, and what, firewalls and stuff. That's cool. But when you're on your own six hours a day and on the N25 listening to Radio 1, you want to blow blow your brains out. Because I come from an environment where there's 30 guys all around you all the time. You're on the shooting range, you're playing football, you're doing fit. So then just sat in a van by myself. So that was the pretty the difficulty I had. Mm. And what I didn't realise at the time was, firstly, your first job when you leave is not your last job. You're not, probably not going to do another six years in your next job that you go into. Um, so you have to have a bit of reality check. But you need to make sure you have two things around you, I think. A very good personal life in terms of support. I had a really good wife. We now have a child, but good family, a bit of a support network there. And also you've got friends that are not in the military. So you mm. have your kind of civilian, normal life around mm. you. That's not, you're always going, oh, I wish I was still with the boys. Uh, and it's like, well, actually, I've got a kind of group of friends here that I've stayed in touch with, et cetera. And then the other bit was the professional environment that you're in. Mm. So how do you get that soft landing? So when you do leave, it's a bit of a familiar environment. It's not so alien. You're not in a van all day. So that's where I, I think people struggle. So that's when... I left very quickly and it was a bit of an ego hit to say, shit, I failed this next job that I've gone into. Mm. I've trained for 12 weeks and the employer that took me on took a bit of a chance, right? Because I'd had a Marine before and they were like, oh, he only, he only lasted like five months. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's not me. It's not me. Like, I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to do this. I lasted four months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the journey, the transition, shall we say, is obviously different depending on who you are. But if you had those two things sorted out, your personal, professional life, good Should environment. Be less rocky. Should be less. I think so, yeah. yeah. And working out what you're going to do is less difficult or it can be uh, more ambiguous than it is the actual environment you're in. So there's three, there's, we call it the three P's, but I talk to people that are transitioning into the real world. We look at firstly the people, who are you going to be working with, yeah. the environment, the culture. Then you look at the purpose. What's the purpose that you're going to have when you move into that role, company, etc. And then you pay. So people, purpose and pay. Pay is always third, in my opinion, it always is in life. If you're in a good environment and you're good at your job, you're gonna get paid pretty well. But your purpose and the people that you're surrounded by is probably the most important. Purpose is the probably number one thing you lose when you mm -hmm. leave. Uh, it's very obvious and it's very black and white, the purpose you have in the military, right? Mm -hmm. most, why most people join. But trying to find a purpose in a, a normal job, uh, it's a little bit more difficult. No, I appreciate you sharing that. It's, that's super interesting. And then just final note on it then, because I think this be useful context. Why is it very common for military folk to then end up in cybersecurity? few things. One, uh, the stat is we did a survey last year. I think it's like 1,800 people. 51% of cybersecurity professionals are ex-military or, or law enforcement. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It makes my sales and BD a lot easier. But why? I suppose the guardian mentality, want to protect something, want to help, especially the vulnerable. So you think 
a lot of cybersecurity people or threat actors and criminals are targeting like the NHS, right? So therefore it's kind of, you're kind of drawn to that. Mm. And also you have like the intelligence like section of the army, so the Inc Corps, you have government agencies, five, six, GCHQ that do this work already, but just in the public sector, so a different domain. But you can get like people who have been a chef in the army, right? Who then, again, it's that back to that guardian mentality, want to help, want to serve, and they're just drawn towards cybersecurity. So it's getting better in the military as well with courses that are being offered to you as you leave that are not just project management or going to driving or logistics or what people think military are good at, but actually here's a cybersecurity course to help mm. you transition and resettle. And it's a typical like in any industry, once you get a few people in that space, everyone else is just kind of magnetized. You then have stories to point out, don't you? Yeah, correct. Okay, I love that. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing all that. So something that maybe I want to start with then. So we want to focus on this Trident journey. I think something mm. that you've said to me in preparation for this and like you're really passionate about is this domain expertise. And I think mm. you hear that a lot, right? You have to be an expert or I feel like in today's market, you're going to make it really hard for yourself if you're not known for something or you're not in, in a niche and you don't commit to it. So I'd love to just hear your take on like what that actually looks like. Do you know what I mean? Like to be a domain expert as a recruiter, what does that actually look like? Is it every single day I am reading the news about my industry? Mm. Is it every single day I am trying to learn just one more thing by speak from the conversations that I have? Like what, what does that actually look like? Do you know what I mean? To become a domain yeah. expert, how do people become that? So one is you have to give a shit about what you do, right? Mm. So you have to, like I said, be known for something, which means if you want to kind of get into the practical, like the daily stuff, right? So yes, it's reading the news. Of course it is. It's knowing that yesterday Cisco intended to buy Splunk for $28 billion, mm. right? And it's all over LinkedIn, so you couldn't miss it anyway, because it's mm. such a big acquisition. But the news is really, really important. And then you want to go, right, what do people actually do in their jobs? Am I genuinely curious about what you do? So when I'm meeting people, talking to people, same as across my team, it's, what, okay, so you protect, uh, I don't know, so let's say, I'll give you an example, right? I don't mind sharing this because mm. most people know, but we built the security team at EasyJet, okay. right? So what does it actually mean? Well, I can tell you what it actually means. When you're on your flight to Ibiza with the girls, the threat actors in North Korea don't try and take down your plane and put you in the water, mm. right? That's a pretty like a real world like situation. So if you genuinely care about that kind of stuff, then talking to the security team at EasyJet, you're like, hey, so what's going on? And they can't tell you everything, but just being curious about how they protect it, who's hitting or targeting the airlines will help just generally build your knowledge. And then if you have a team of 25 recruiters, all with that kind of mindset, everyone's just sharing stuff, mm. right? As soon as we come in on a Monday morning, people are like, right, what's going on? What happened this weekend? Who's been hit? Who's been attacked? What's happening in Vegas? Mm. Uh, who's hit the MGM Grand? And then you look at like, okay, the MGM Grand, let's use that as an example. I'm talking to people that I know are actually responding to the incident. They're in Vegas now, there's 12 of them. And they're like, the MGM's not the only casino that's been hit. And then you look at the news and it's just MGM, MGM, because it's the biggest name, right? Mm. Caesars, etc. There's 30 casinos out there that have been whacked, wow. right? So, and, and then it says, MGM losing $4 million a day. And you're like, yeah, they are. What about the other ones? Mm. Combined, it's $22 million a day they're losing. Mm. And like, if you genuinely care about that, because I think that's super interesting, right? Yeah. And I'm like, right now, how? And then next, you go kind of layer deeper than that. I'm in WhatsApp groups where it's just full of CISOs, so C-suite mm. of the kind of security world, who are just talking about that. And then next thing you know, I've got like a GitHub repository, which is like a thing called like Notepad on your mm. uh, laptop. The threat has actually sent a message to the public, so to speak, but you won't see it in the news on BBC. It's only on like GitHub repositories. Mm. And um, I'm in that group and you read it and you're like, shit, like the thrag's actually talking about how they did it. 
Oh. And they're like, we gave them a heads up. We told them X. They didn't respond. Blah, 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 blah. We still have control of X, X, X. So if you're in those circles and I don't go in there with the idea or mindset that, hey, I'm a headhunter. Can I help you build your teams? It's just, I want to be in the middle of the community and understand what the fuck's going on. So I opened it this morning and people are talking about like what's going on with some Microsoft technologies like Copilot and how AI is affecting it and how they've implemented it in their teams. And then I go, to, I sort of talk to my team. I'm like, guys, did you know this? And it was like, shit, I didn't know that. Mm. Next thing you know, the team are then pinging in more kind of articles and news. And then all day, all you do is hear them talking to candidates and clients about that. So it's just kind of like almost like infectious when you're in that environment. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question, but no, um, no, that, I think that there's, you know, like you said, one, you have to care about what you do mm-hmm. and be generally interested in sure. that. Like you said, like really commit to consuming content, like making sure that you're on a diet of content that is in your industry, mm-hmm. right? So are you scrolling and consuming just shit or are you actually consuming stuff that could actually be really interesting and helpful in, in line with what you do? And then you said, yeah, just like commit to being really curious. So, how long does that take? Do you know what I mean? Because I think sometimes people can think, oh, I'm, I'm never going to get there or yep. I'm never going to truly be a domain expert. Mm. So like when you hire people, clearly this is something that's really important to you. Mm. How do you frame that up? Are you saying like, look, you'll be as competent as I am within six months if mm. you have this approach? Like how long does that take? A very quick one before we get back to the conversation. I wanted to talk to you all about one of our podcast sponsors, One Up Sales. So let's just talk about the crucial aspect of any successful recruitment business, data visibility and accountability. Are your consultants reaching their targets? Where can they improve? You need clear, comprehensive and timely data to answer these questions. That's where One Up Sales comes in. Their cutting-edge sales performance management platform provides you with real-time data visibility, helping you track performance at a glance. 1UP Sales doesn't just show you the numbers, it tells you the story behind them. This increased transparency not only enables you to take more informed decisions, but it also fosters a sense of accountability among your consultants. With clear visibility, they can take ownership of their performance, learn from their mistakes, and continue to strive to improve. So turn your data into an accountability tool, connect your CRM with one Sales, and always be in the know. Because you listen to this podcast, you're able to get your hands on an exclusive offer for one Sales, which is a 10% discount on the user price. So if you haven't already, check out how one Sales can enable you to hold people accountable, have way more visibility in your data. It's well worth checking out. Now let's get back to the conversation. I don't know if it's a specific kind of period of time mm. because it's the more you put in the more mm. you get out except like kind of cliche right but in our environment it's faster than normal because again it's infectious and you you only have to be there and be a sponge and mm. it's kind of just even like subliminally you're just hearing it in the back of like conversations over there but if i had to put a number on it it's two three years yeah because it, it like what ha- and then look at the kind of the drop off of recruiters after nine months 12 months in yeah. the job and they're like this isn't what i thought it was i'm not making the commission mm. i was going to make and then you're like you know, the old, uh, the guy in the mining cave and he's like stops and he's like this close before right, the yeah. edge of that one. That's like genuinely, I see that all the time in, in this space, not just in cyber, but yeah, I would say two, three years. The first year is just you giving all in. It's just input, 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 right? And mm. you're going to get little out. Mm. Let's be very frank. You might make on a 30K base, you mm. might make 50K OTE, mm-hmm. which is still good, right? Comparative to other industries, but to be a genuine domain expert and to put yourself in the middle of the communities, hosting the events, being on stage, talking mm. to people and have the knowledge to be able to hold a conversation. Yeah, it's well over 
every year. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that because that's good for people to to know. And then just final thing on that. Yeah. Are you saying that? Because I, I like my you tell me what you think, but my opinion is you're not going to be as competent as a CISO. No. And that isn't your aim here. Yeah. You're and like yeah, people don't pay you to be as competent as a CISO, right? However, like it is absolutely your job as a you know industry expert recruiter to really commit to understand and be in the middle of those people where actually the best thing that you can do is one yeah understand what goes on in these people's worlds to the best of your ability but also to say be in the middle of say like hey i spoke to five CISOs today these are the things they're sharing with me like what, what do you think of that like the, and like be that mm-hmm. you know be that exchange of information but mm-hmm. i think sometimes people I don't know if you found this, but sometimes people think that in order for them to become a domain expert, they have to be as competent as the people that they're placing or working with. But that isn't what you're saying, right? You're just saying that you need to commit to being at the epicenter of like your world and to be able to be in a room and listen and understand, but you're never going to be as competent as these people. Correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. If you could have 50% of the knowledge of the people that you're hiring or mm. hiring for, job well done, right? But yeah. you add the business acumen and we'll come on to mm. the commercial side to that, plus our business model, right? We hire 30 year olds who have had a life before. Mm. Right? I don't care what that life looks like. All I need is experience. I need journeys, stories. And it's, so then when you are on your own, six months later, in a pub, in a meetup, at an event with a CISO, with a head of, with an analyst, whatever, you can talk about things other than recruitment, other than cybersecurity, and uh, you're engaging and you have a story in the like from the past. Mm. So. Yeah, that really helps. But yeah, you don't need... Yeah, you, and, you, and you have to accept you're never going to be at that level. Yeah. If you want to be, then go into the industry. Mm. We've had two or three people leave our agency. We've given them certifications a, a, along the way, which we continue to do now, knowing that sometimes we do lose people to the industry because it's so ex- interesting. And they're like, shit, I want to be in that all day, every day. But if you think you're going to be at that level as of a CISO, then you need to have a reality, reality Yeah, because I think sometimes people so can get confused with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about, because again, this is something clearly you've doubled down on, and I don't think many people have really highlighted that it's something they intentionally do. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about why do you and your co-founder really put a lot of emphasis on developing commercial acumen? Because I'll Mm. be honest, I have interviewed people where they've said that's important, but they they necessarily haven't said, like, we actively, intentionally, like, help Josh the recruiter understand how our clients make money um, and understand the P&L and understand the true problems that we solve and these things. Mm -hmm. So when you say, you know, we train our people on commercial acumen, like, one, what does that actually mean? And then two, like, why do you do that? And what are the the positive impacts, the net positives that you found that then Mm. means when, you know, your team are of recruiting yeah yeah cool so two ways we do it in terms of training so one is we actually or actively ask some of our clients to come into the office so mm. we build commercial teams for cybersecurity vendors so software vendors right mm. thinking McAfee's of the world we will ask a vp of sales or a cro hey can you come in can you speak to my kind of go to market team and explain to them what the impact of us hiring an account exec for you is and then we do the other bit of training which is hey guys this is a venture capital firm this is a private equity company this is a pnl this is net versus growth i show them our pnl mm. i say look and they look at it and go oh they fall asleep right because it's just line items of spreadsheet and they don't give a shit about that right mm. but what i'm trying to get them to visualize is when and this is the end goal right when a company that we recruit for let's say it's a big it could be an israeli software vendor that want to break into the us right mm. so when that company are in a board meeting end of month meeting right you've got the cfo ceo cro whatever the cfo looks at that and they go on the on the, on the powerpoint and they go holy shit trident we spent 50 grand with them this month but then the cro is who's your internal sponsor right think of it like that goes yeah yeah that's fine i know it's a lot of money on paper and as a line item, but they found four account execs this year 
accumulatively, that, those four have made $2.8 million for us this year. Mm. And the guy goes, keep using them. <laughs> so how, how can they get more people in? So if my team can visualize our clients in those boardrooms, mm. that's what you are, right? You're genuinely just a cost, mm. right? But if we can go, we are, but we do like end of quarter reviews of our clients and we say, hey, we found someone at the start of July, how are they getting on? I've spoken to them, they love it. They've just closed their first deal, 800K deal with Kellogg's, whatever. So they're settling in well, they're doing well. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, do you need any more? Because they're revenue generators. The more I can find for you, the, the more money you're going to make, the better you look as the, the, the leader of the sales team. Now, attribute that to like a technical team. Let's go back to the EasyJet example. Mm. If we're building a team of security operations analysts, so people that monitor and sit there and look at the networks and make sure that there's no malicious threat actor trying to get in yeah. and they can like, um, they get alerts when they are in, et cetera. I can speak to a SOC analyst after, I don't know, they've been there a couple of months and go, hey, how are you getting on? They're like, yeah, I love it, blah, 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 taking for lunch. And then they go, yeah, but I, I was like, but what, what impact have you made since you've joined? And then they say, well, actually, I blocked six malicious threats coming from China. And therefore, that meant that we are, we had no downtime. We're a trading firm. That means that we can continue to trading, blah, 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 blah. Right. So you can kind of attribute it to both the technical side of security that we recruit, yep. so the defensive teams, but also the sales teams, even software de developers that we recruit. I've built X since we've done. I've released a new product, a new feature, and that meant that we could actually then take it to market and our commercial teams are selling it. So you can see the genuine value. And then when you take it to another customer or a new client and do a new, kind of new BD, which we can come onto in a bit, how we do it, you can kind of approach a new VP of sales and go, hey, I know you know Steve, the VP of sales of that firm. Ask him. I placed six people there this year and they've done XXX in millions. So it's almost too hard for them to say no. So it sounds like then, I love that by the way, so it sounds like then what you're really encouraging your people to do, which I think sometimes recruiters can end up being laser focused on, is just, I placed Josh in a job, right? And yep. that, that's like, that's what you see. Whereas what you're talking about is like, hey guys, you know, what I'm gonna help you understand here is truly the impact that you're making mm. by finding these people and putting these people in these seats. And you're doing that by, one, which I absolutely love the idea of, you know, bringing in your clients to talk about, you know, the story of by you helping us get this person, this is what it's resulted in. Mm. Um, and this is what it means. But you're also then, you know, equipping people with the knowledge, which I really rate because a lot of people don't understand. I think it be, should be something in, in like schools that's talk, talking about, you know 100%. what I mean, in terms of like P&L, uh, all those things. And I really like that, that, you know, thinking about when that, that hiring manager or when that person that you've got relationship with is asked, Josh, why have we spent that money with X agency that you know that they're going to be able to answer that because mm. of the conversations that you have and to be able to really visualize that or even understand that that's the sort of conversations that they're going to have is, yeah. is like really yeah. important, right? But then, like you said, by developing that, I'm then asking those, you know, really smart questions of like, yeah, like what impact have you had on the business rather than just like, are you enjoying your job? Like, yeah, how's yeah, it going? Right. And let's kind of look, take a few steps ahead and the impact of my team, mm. they grow as people. Yeah. So like you said, at school, we don't learn about interest rates, debt, mm. finance, et cetera, right? Which is obviously an everyday occurrence in our life. So if my team can walk away, and I know full well, people won't be here for 10 years, mm. right? They won't be here when we exit in seven years, whatever. But if I know full well that you've left and you're part of our alumni down the line and you go, do you know what? I learned how to be a better recruiter. I made some money. I did good. I made an impact. But more importantly, I grew as a person I've learned more about life and just general business. And it equips them. If they want to go set up a competitor, great, do it, right? Won't be very happy, but that's life and that's part of the business. But if it means that they grow as humans, the other side, and it took me years to learn that or think like that. Mm -hmm. And I owe a lot to my old CEO. He brought me into the boardroom probably two years into my recruitment career when I set up the business internally mm. after d doing IT. And I have a lot to thank for him for that because I was sitting there listening to conversations, always old white men just talking about business, P&L, costs, mm. why, and just listening to the CFO talk get, and his view on it. 
because he didn't really care about how many people we recruited. He cared about the bottom line, top line, mm. uh, in and out, right? So if I could expose our team to that as quickly as possible, even if they're 27 years old or 40 years old, I think it just goes a long way in their personal life. Yeah, no, agreed. And also then, like you just said, which will keen to get your just journey with it now but then like the stories that you then tell your customers and potential customers is just entirely different yep. right you're talking about not that we play like this uh we worked with easyjet and we placed all these people you're saying we did that but also because we found those people they were able to um you know prevent 30 different attacks mm -hmm. from like do you know what i mean you're then yeah. telling those stories yeah. and that's just like worlds apart from saying hey josh like yeah I, c I can get people for you like yeah i can find these people that do that rather than saying hey i can find you free account executives and this is the impact that you can expect they can make because this is what's happened mm. with x customer so i love that let's talk about because it's something that you know people always interested in interested in and you know want to hear people's experience with but you know you've continued to go on an upward trajectory uh, nfi wise but do you mind sharing like what has been you know consistently the most effective way for trident to consistently win good quality business and you know on the client acquisition side like what does that look like for you guys what's been the most effective channels i can imagine you know we're talking about you guys being completely committed to being domain experts and all that that's had a obviously huge impact yep. and i know you do things like podcasts and networking events but like yeah what, what's been the most consistent way of you acquiring good quality business and and consistently doing that because that, that's key to you guys yeah, yeah. growing the nfi so news flash we don't cold call okay my team don't cold call right there's a number of reasons why but you try and pick up the phone to a CISO hey I've got a good security analyst here for you just just on the market within budget but like come on man. like I'm trying to protect the business here if I'm on the phone to you as a headhunter and we get hacked I get fired mm. right so there's other ways and channels to that person so you mentioned or you touched on a few things there for us the most important parts are yes your domain expertise and staying niche super super niche right and it's really difficult to tell, especially a rookie recruiter or someone who's got two years from another agency that goes, oh, hey, Josh, uh, I know I do SOC rec recruitment and I build MSSPs, but they want me to recruit a uh, pen tester. Can I do it? I know I'll fill it. I'll work later. I won't do it in hours. I won't post. I'm like, no. And it's really difficult, right? Because they're like, yeah, but that'll make me a 12K fee, which will make me two and a half grand commission. I'm like, no. And it's really hard to especially at the start to go, trust me, follow the process and it will work out for you. Mm. But that's a consistent message that we send from our, from me and Charlie down to our heads of departments, down to seniors, to consultants, associates. Um, even our marketing is super consistent in terms of like being really, really niche. And that's a message where it's not convincing them. It's just like, trust me that like it's worked. Stay in your niche, right? So niches, yeah, definitely one. This year, we've really, really doubled down. Uh, we did it a lot last year, but we hired Lottie, who's our marketing manager, who's epic. Mm. And we spend as much money as possible and time and resource on pushing the brand out there, doing these networking events. But then the events are all well and good. And we do lots of like exec search kind of, or exec round tables. And that's all well and good. But then what's the follow up? What's the mm. purpose? What's the point? This isn't just a piss up for a load of CISOs who just want to like drink on our free bar tab. It's what change are you putting in place off the back of this meetup? So the first one would have been about diversity. And it's like not necessarily just gender, but it could be neurodiversity. Mm. It could be veterans or whatever it be. But then what Lottie will do and what whoever runs the event will be, right, let's do a follow up report. Let's get it out to everyone. And then three months later, what have you done? What action have you put into place? So those networking events are really, really, really key for us. And then it's just referrals. So we've got quite a good name, quite a good brand because we spend so much money on it and we mm. spend so much time and effort onto it. But almost, I think I looked yesterday, it's like 88% of our business is in, inbound. Wow. 
So, and there have been challenges about with that this year, right? Because it's been a tough year economically, et cetera. So um, we've had to flip that into more outbound stuff and to really push the message out a little bit more and do more outbound engagements. But yeah, so I'd say super, super niche and like actually live it as well. Because I know so many recruiters are like, yeah, I'm niche. And then you see them post something else and they come to interview for me and they're like, yeah, I'm really niche. And I pull up their LinkedIn. I go, well, what's that then? <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, it's just like a really good client that wanted... Mm. And, and they only give it to me exclusively. The networking, the marketing, the events. And then the last piece that we do, we started launching it. I launched one pre-COVID, which is called the Waterloo Cyber Club, which you saw mm. we host on Wednesday. A group of 700 military and law enforcement veterans who work in cybersecurity in the UK. So we had an event last on Wednesday, 100 people turned up mm. and it's, we give a little talk, but it's all about the two things, the two kind of uh, similarities everyone has, veterans in cyber, but about seeing old friends and just networking and, and just um, having a beer with people, right? Mm. And in, again, a very familiar environment for people. What that does though, is that again, it puts us at the center of the of the industry and the communities. So we've launched our sales engineering one, we've launched CTI one, we've launched Microsoft security one. And the, the idea is we've got closed LinkedIn groups, we've got closed Discord group, and sometimes it's not meetups. Some of the Microsoft security guys don't want to meet up. That's cool, that's fine, you don't do that. What we'll do instead is maybe like a technical online virtual capture the flag or something like that. So mm. the community is really important. We call them the clubs, but again, it puts us right at the center of the industry. Mm. So yeah, you've worked really hard then. I mean, 88% inbound, that's a lot. High, right? Yeah. Yeah. And would you, are you including referrals in that? Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Talk to us a bit about that. If I want to get to that position, mm. what are going to be the biggest levers that I can lean into leverage in the long term that's going to help me get to that point? Like if I want to get to a point where nearly 90% of my business is either coming referral, mm. inbound, all that, you might have just spoken about it, but like, you know, if I'm working towards that, what are the main levers I need to, you know, mm. keep pulling each day from, you know, my, what I need to make sure my teams are doing, what I'm doing to really be able to get to that point? You've mentioned marketing, but as an actual individual recruiter, yep. what can I do every single day that, you know, we're playing the long game here. You're talking about two years, three years for domain expertise. You're not talking about three months and six months. Yep. What every single day, what do I have to be doing that hopefully in the long run will mean I can say, yeah, 70% of my business comes from referral. We'll get right back into the conversation in a moment. But before we do, I wanted to tell you about one of our longtime podcast partners, Vinceri. So ask yourself this, is your team feeling the effects of manual data entry and outdated processes? Relegate repetitive and monotonous tasks to Vinceri, your all-in-one recruitment operating system. Imagine a few extra hands helping you sift through the busy work day in, day out. That's the benefit of Vincherry's automation tools and features. From interview scheduling, automated templates, CV formatting, reporting, and more. You're going to reduce error rates, streamline compliance, and accelerate return on investment. It works like magic. And the best part, you keep morale high and productivity goes through the roof. Today's episode is kindly sponsored by Vincherry, the top-rated recruitment software by TrustRadius in 2023. You get an exclusive offer for listening to this podcast, which is 10% off the user price. Reach out to the team and arrange a quick demo or use a link in the show notes to book an exploratory call and get your hands on that exclusive offer and start using great tools within there, all in one platform like automation. Okay, so when we first started Trident, I was on my own January until mm -hmm. Charlie joined me, the co-founder. Just got six weeks, eight weeks after, got, went into lockdown. So I made it on my to-do list, my plan. Yeah, you had your candidate calls, you had your mm. client work, etc. The first thing I did every morning at eight o'clock was, and this is very rudimentary and very basic, was just repost an, a news article about cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. As simple as that, right? Get your name on LinkedIn. So when people are, because it's force a habit, right? Even the professionals don't use Instagram anymore. They're straight mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. 
Everyone's on the toilet in the morning, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah. So wh- how do they see Josh Keeley on their on the thing and they're liking mm-hmm. it and sharing it? If you can go one better and start writing your own articles and things and great, but more importantly, every single morning, eight o'clock, get something out there. So create your content and it just becomes a part of you. It's a habit mm-hmm. and it builds your own personal brand. So it's your personal marketing. You can develop that, like I said, into content and, and other bits. But And then what we try and get everybody to do, which is, hey, you are a domain expert in new business for XDR companies in cybersecurity in America. Okay, cool. That's your niche within a niche. Now go build a podcast series with it. Mm. Go do a, I'll try it talks. I'm not quite as popular as this one, but, mm. um, but we go and build a series, work with our marketing team. And what that will allow you to do is connect with the very senior people in the industry to uh, obviously invite them on. And it's a conversation that's not recruitment. So the two main things that we, to almost focus everybody on that just joins us from day one is your personal marketing and then go build your podcast series. Mm. And you might not be that good at interviewing people. That's totally fine. We'll practice, we'll, we'll coach mm. you, we'll teach you through it. But the whole point is, is that it gives you a reason to be in someone's inbox and uh, whether it's a LinkedIn email mm-hmm. other than recruitment. So you'll see it all the time. We'll have rookies that will just join and then we'll say, right, your podcast series is going to go live November 1st. Mm. It's going to end, end of November. I need eight episodes from you. You've got two months to get all of those eight people recorded and um, invited, et cetera. Mm. But what I'm really doing there is I'm asking you just to go and network with the very senior people in your industry and just treat them all like candidates. Mm. They're not clients. Don't put them on this massive pedestal up here. And Because what I've seen before and what we used to do in my old agency was you only do candidates for six months because you're new. You're not allowed to talk to a client yet. All that happens then is that the, cl- the client's going up here. Totally. The top of the mountain. They're like, then they've got to start talking to clients. Like, holy shit. Like, I, 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 he's up there or she's mm. up there. So... Treat everyone like a, a candidate, but use that podcast series, that Trident Talks, and not, not always that, but that's our kind of medium, if you like, to network with very senior people in your, in your industry and just befriend them and just get to know them and be genuinely curious and interested. That's how we build referrals. So mm. very senior candidates in the industry. And that's been easier to do this year than ever before because there are more senior people on the market mm. because the economy is so fucked, mm. especially in the US, right? Every day I'm talking to VPs of sales and they are good people. They hit their number. And it's sometimes mm. it's not necessarily their fault. They're not the B players, C players. They're still good A players, but might be like a company restructure or whatever you put it down to. But that this year is, I think, will rocket ship us next year. Because yeah. we've got all, all those, those, conversations, all those yeah. conversations, right? And again, they're not always about recruitment. And is the, is the key there just to make sure, yeah, do all those things, but then make sure that every VP of sales understands what Trident do and, and the problems that you solve and, and yeah, what you're Yeah, it goes for. back to that boardroom conversation, right? Yeah. Of having business conversations. So when they say, oh, I worked at this company, I'm like, okay, cool, what do they do? And, and they'll be like, oh, we were a, um, a tax surface monitoring company. I'm like, okay, cool. But who did you help? And then what was the impact of your customer? And then you go deeper into the conversation mm. about business, not, well, what was your number? What was your quota, et cetera? So then we're like, well, that's what we do at Trident, right? We go super deep into the business conversation. Mm. Yes, we need domain expertise, and I know what a tax surface monitoring platform does, but then I know their competitors. I'm like, well, your, your competitors do it that way. So how come you did it this way? And then you can start having like deeper conversations mm. with them. And then they come off the phone going, hopefully going, shit, that person knows what they're talking about. Um, and we just barely spoke about recruitment. And then the other thing that we do post that kind of conversation is we'll set very clear expectations. So you're not not going to hear from me ever again. But what I will do is have weekly check-ins with you, just touch base, even if I've got nothing to help you in terms of mm-hmm. if, if you're looking for a job, that is. Um, we're very, very big on just constant touch points of everybody. So, mm, yeah. Love that. So let, let's go into, because I know you're on a real journey here to get to a point where you know, there's some sort of business event, right? For Trident. Yeah. So from what I took from our prep call in this is what you see is a quite valuable part of that journey is this other product line, the RPO piece, right? Because, you know, that's 
more like guaranteed recurring revenue mm. and that hopefully will give you you know even more chance of getting a better multiple or you know yeah. um, more equitable value in your business or enterprise value so talk to us a bit about that when did you start that product how long have you been providing that product and then i'll, I'll hit mm. you with some questions on what's been hard about it the conversations i've had with people that yep. have experienced that like how long have you been doing that that product and service about two years two years yeah not long and then just to frame out to people, typically what that looks like is, I know it may vary, mm-hmm. but the the crux of it, it's a company will agree with you for a minimum term that they're going to pay you X per month mm-hmm. to provide X deliverables, yep. X number of people. I don't know, you know, the typical yeah, yeah. deliverables. And then I think you said it might vary, but that's the core of it. So you've got guaranteed revenue there. They've got guaranteed resource. And then I think you mentioned that per placement, you might also charge something that yeah. might not be for everyone, but yeah. you might charge and I'm assuming that's going to be reduced. And then, yeah, there's, it's a period of time. So it's like guaranteed. Just talk to us a bit about the crux of that product. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're spot on. So yeah, we will charge a typical customer that we'll target. I'll give you some very practical mm. examples. A 50 person software company, cybersecurity software company, just had 15 million in series A funding mm-hmm. and they're very founder led everything. Founder led sales, founder led hiring, founder led software building, everything, right? So then we'll come in either through the venture capital firm that's funded them. They want their ROI ASAP, right? They want a mm-hmm. real big multiple return in three, four years, particularly if they're a private equity firm. But then they'll go, right, bring Trident in and we'll liaise with the founder or directly or, or through the funder. And then we'll say, right, we'll be in-house talent team. We could also do all your HR and your people function for you as well. So I built HR ISs and things like that. Mm-hmm. We have a very clear, it's called like a people framework. Okay. So it's an acronym is source. Um, we can go into detail later. I'll maybe put it in the link and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll share it for free. I don't mm-hmm. mind giving it to anyone. And what that does is it puts in step every single, I suppose, like an ATS, HRIS, et cetera, like mm-hmm. sort of thing in place for where you are as a business on your journey. So it's so like a scorecard. Yeah, like almost like a checklist, right? But right. Things that a founder would not think about, right? So how do you build programs with universities? How do you build relationships with them mm. to get more sort of graduate software engineers in later down the line? So there are things that are immediate, and then there are things that may be further down the line. So you need to get your LinkedIn page up and running, right. uh, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll put that people framework in place, part of the service. We'll charge them a set fee every month. Mm-hmm. And then we will charge them a percentage, a reduced percentage of every placement that we make. Right. What we found the challenges of that were, especially the first one, we only did a set fee every month. So hey, you can pay us $20,000 a month. What we and found, then it'll be like as many deliverable, like correct. as many people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll say, hey, we'll get you two people a month for that. What we found was our recruiters were less engaged and inclined to go and build, uh, put five people in there because it, that wouldn't be their sole job, right? Because it's only $20,000 a month. I've got probably five, six other uh, clients over here that want like a couple of people a month, et cetera. So what we found was without that percentage of every placement, the mm. consultant after a couple of f- deals in that client or after a couple of placements, we're just losing interest. Mm. Uh, because they're like, well, the next ones are just free. So I had a very honest conversation with that client and that's when we introduced a small percentage, single figure percentage of each deal. And it's just an incentivization. So now I could take that consultant and say, right, those clients over there are now with another consultant. You're now solely focused on this. Mm. But then the client will commit for 18 months. Right. And what that 18 months is all about is well, typically when you get series A and just sort of talking sort of theoretical, that $15 million is due for like the runway will be 18 months. Mm. And then kind of 12 months into that, they then spend the, ne- the last six months raising series B, depending on how the performance of the business is, et cetera. Not always the case because they might have some revenue from customers, but that's why we'll go, right, 18 months, we'll get you through your series A. You'll get your few, first few customers, use cases, et cetera. But uh, it's tough. It's tough to win because you have to convince that founder to spend a lot of money with you and not build an in-house talent team. Mm. Why wouldn't they do that? And it's typically because they don't have the expertise or they, they then get the whole of Trident to lean on if the volume kicks up. But we're on one now in the US, uh, in Tennessee, and 
we feel like such a part of the business. They've shipped us laptops. We've got all the t-shirts, the hats. Mm. We've, we've got their, their bloody mouse mats, everything. We've been over there a number of times. We're in their XCOM, so their board meetings and things like that. And they treat us like an employee. So we're on their Teams chats, everything. So we're so immersed in their business. So it's not the RPO or MSP model that people know of like resource solutions at Microsoft. We don't use outsource agencies mm. when we're on site. So I think it's the my most favorite part of recruitment or the favorite kind of method or means because my consultants, when they are internal, they learn so much more than just putting people bums on seats. They learn why they, they have to speak to all the stakeholders. And also then when they go back to kind of contingent recruitment, they, they can kind of empathize with the talent acquisition manager on site. I know yeah. why you're not giving me feedback. I, I can visualize the kind of up the chain communication and probably why you're not getting feedback on CVs and stuff. So so it's a couple of things. And then, because yeah. I want to make sure we touch on then how you've really committed to building infrastructure this year. As it's yeah, yeah. So just quickly on this then, because I think people find this interesting. So firstly, what have you found to end up being like the typical contract length for these things what has ended up being i know every, i know it's, it varies but mm. like if you were to look at the all the different ways that you've done that with different companies yeah is it six months is it 12 months is it three months what's ended up being like typically where you know where people have ended up committing for an x period of time out of interest yeah so the initial commitment is always three months okay yeah with a month break clause like a four week break mm. clause we've had some finish at seven months last year, but that was because the firm were brought by private exit firm. Mm -hmm. So completely out of our hands. Mm -hmm. We've got one now that's committed for 18 months. Okay. Uh, so the contract is 18 months. And if they pull out before that, then we charge the full 18 months. So but you normally start three months. Yeah, three months saying. is the okay. initial engagement. The first one we ever done was two weeks. Right. So I said, look, you've never, and they'd never worked with us. So you've never worked with us. Here's uh, a two week, almost like a try before you buy. Mm. And it's, it's two weeks. Uh, so mm. we're still on that contract now. Okay, so, right. Okay, that's interesting. And then just so we understand, what would you say is the main reason why people are buying that. What's like the main problem? Is it cost or nah? Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like some people can just lean into like, this is way cheap. Like if you do it this way, it's way cheaper, yeah. Josh. Like work with me with yeah, that. Yeah. But I don't feel like that's necessarily the leading indicator. It's, it's not, not one that engages it's, you. It's not cheaper, right? It's not. There's three kind of things that a founder, internal HR will look at, right? It's the speed of hire, mm. the volume of hire, and the cost of hire, right? Typical three things. Again, this comes down to the business acumen of yeah. understanding the business, right? And what motivates them. The cost of hire is going to be expensive. So forget about that. So we need the customers who have just committed to the investors and said, we're going to build a 50-person team in the US. Mm. So we need the speed of hire mm. and uh, we need the volume of hire So as, as soon as possible. So the reason why they come to us is then they go, well, these guys can do it because they've got the communities and the market reach. We're just going to go straight for them. And it right. might cost us 800K and not 450 if we have an internal team, but we've got almost guaranteed, we've got use cases and we let them talk to old clients. Hey, ask the VP mm. of HR there what we did or the founder there what we did. Mm -hmm. So that's it, interesting. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's, the, it's those two things. Because I think sometimes people, that is a perception that it's like cheaper, but actually what you're saying is like, actually it's not, but we can solve these two problems for you is we can get you the people that you need mm. that your investors are going to expect you to, to have a lot more quicker. And uh, like you just said, like by, you know, uh, partnering with you instantly, we get access to all your network and all those types of things. But what's the conflict if, or what's the problem if you don't get us on board to hire that volume and mm. the quality as fast as possible? You run out of runway. So you, cause you're, you're the company's overheads, uh, you've mm. only got 18 months, right? You need people in as soon as possible because salespeople take time to ramp up. So yeah, the investors are there encouraging you to spend, you spend it sustainably and wisely, but you need to spend it to get people in. That's the whole point of getting investment. So you can build the product, mm. release new features on it, mm -hmm. and go and build a commercial team to take it to market. And then just final two points. One, how do you structure commission for that? Like, what does that look the same. like? Same. Is it? Yeah, okay. we don't change it. Whether that changes in the future, I don't know. <laughs> so just so we understand that. So like, if I sold it, or would it depend on who sold it? 
So like, if, let's say I sold to cybersecurity firm, yep. three month partnership. Yep. It was $20,000 a month and then it was 8% per placement. Mm. So you're saying what unlocks my commission is like, so 20 grand goes next to my name on the board straight away for yeah, every month. month. Yep. For that is each month. Yep. And then each time I do a placement that adds up. Yep. And then I just get a percentage of that like you normally would. Yeah, yeah. So we pay, I'll tell you our commission yeah. scheme. We pay 20% flat on everything. Okay. It's quarterly, but we pay monthly, but it yeah. resets quarterly. Anything over 45K in that quarter, so you're a 180 biller, mm. it's 30%. Right. Once you've hit your target in the year, it's 40% flat. Right. Right. So we've got people hitting their target July 1st this year. And me and Charlie are like, holy fuck. <laughs> um, that was a mistake. But the whole point of that and the, and the reasoning behind it is it's just all profit. Mm. You set a target on someone's performance and capability, but also you need to make a profit on someone, right? Yeah. Typically in London, a recruiter costs you 10K a month. Mm -hmm. Easy, some just a bit below, a bit above, whatever. Mm -hmm. But typically 10K a month. So you go, right, consultants in, the, uh, in London need to make 120. So if we give everyone a target 150, that 30K is just profit. Mm. So why do we want to keep it in the bank? Give it, give it back to them. So if you do 150, anything over that's 40%, plus your salary, you're typically taking home about mm. 61 to 70% mm. of every deal you do. So those partnerships, yeah, like 20 so, sorry, grand yeah. would go against my, that would be like what I'd put in yeah, my Yeah, name, it's all right? yours, yeah, it's yeah. all yours. Okay, um, cool, and, like, and like some people are going, whoa, you're crazy. Like you can't keep, I'm like, why? Why not? Give it back to them. And also typically these RPOs or talent as a service models are harder. Yeah. You're always on, especially if you're doing US yeah, you've got to do, that's the thing, like I have heard people say, like you said, you speak with all the stakeholders, there's positives to that, but then there's negatives to that. They, they expect, mm. you can't hide, right? You're the person there. Yeah, you like have you can't to deliver. Hide. So, and then just the final thing on that then, because normally when I speak to people that do that, the the, the one of the big common challenges is then like capacity. Mm. And like figuring that out, because do you know what I mean? I yeah. don't know if you've run into that, because it's like, you can sell that, but it's like, fuck, I've now got to deliver. Yeah. A real quick one from me, and we'll get straight back into the conversation. Some of you may or may not be aware that I'm also the founder of a business called Hector. Hector is an all-in-one training platform for recruitment founders to maximize team performance. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone that is enjoying this podcast week after week, you might even share this podcast with your colleagues, then I'd love to connect with you. Our training platform is powered by top performers delivering practical training for today's market. We believe training a lot of the time in the recruitment industry is dated, is stale, is delivered by people that did it 5, 10, 15 years ago. And we are completely going against that. So a lot of the people that you're able to learn on this podcast, you're able to learn even more from at Hector. So if you'd love to you know, find out more about how we could potentially help you get more out of your people, ramp up their performance more quickly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes where you'll be able to book a call with us. Let's get straight back into the episode. No, luckily we haven't come into that yet. Okay. One of our clients, I have one consultant on it and she's doing between five and eight hires a week. Wow. Right. What, perm or contract? Perm. Mad. It's, it's unbelievable, right? Mm. But they are, uh, we've got the process, using that framework, slick. It's super mm. slick. The only time it takes a little bit longer in an extra stage is when we're hiring a C-suite or VP there. Mm. So from April to now, she's taken that company from 40 to 170 heads. That's mad. Right. So what's this framework then? The so, source thing you The said. source, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I, does that I, stand for? Setup, outcome, I can't remember. I'll put it into the thing. But it's, okay, um, yeah, and then we go into each, under each one, it's super detailed in like the kind of actionable points that you need to take under each acronym. So the whole so the whole point of that is we're going to implement Source, which is our framework to help you become effective employers and not hirers yeah. of people. And the hardest thing there is, particularly if they're a little bit more mature, is no, 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 we always do four interview stage. And you're like, yeah, but you do that. 
or they want to do a HR interview as well if there's a HR person. Right. They're like, but what's the point of us? So it takes time to build that trust. Yeah, and, yeah. But yeah, this you're going to have to share that with me then. Oh, I'm going to have to share that because people yeah, 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 yeah. will be like, put, right, yeah. I want it. Yeah. 100%, you can use I'll it. I'll put it in the I'll, notes. Okay. Yeah. So as we come to the end here, talk to me about infrastructure, like the, the journey that you've been on, right? Because I think mm-hmm. you shared to me, you've your responsibility typically has been like finance, operations, talent, uh, running like half of the team. Yeah. But I think you said, you know, you're building everything for exit or like, you know, you know, you're building the enterprise value yeah. of your business, right? Yeah, yeah. And I said, what what does that mean? So I think you said this year, correct me if I'm wrong, you've had a people manager, marketing, finance, mm. you've got a chairman who's from your industry, yep. I believe, board advisor. And this is all to, you know, have these things now so you can grow into the infrastructure yeah. that you need to, have 20, to be a 25, 30 plus person company. Yep. Talk to us just a bit about some of the, the key things there and why this infrastructure bit is so important. Yeah, yeah, cool. Absolutely. So the bit of context for you. So from since we started in 2020, we've doubled in headcount and revenue every year. Mm-hmm. Granted, it was three years, right? Mm. But um, at the start of this year, we were, I think, 14 heads and we're doing 1.8 million in just fees. I think it's about 3 million total with mm. contract revenue, et cetera. But we were like almost like a Jenga block. We're getting fatter at the top and at the bottom, which is your foundations, talk about back office operations. It was just getting, it just didn't sort of grow. It was all mm. on me and Charlie. So we were like, well, we're going to fall over at some point, right? And we're going to keep growing. And then what happens is you, you almost convey a belt of consultants. You lose them as fast as you can gain them, right? Mm. So, it was this year was we'll grow in revenue even though the economy's fucked but we'll steadily grow in headcount but more importantly we'll get our finance manager people manager marketing manager we'll promote people internally to heads off and we coach and develop them which we've got now Mm. which means that me and Charlie can focus on other things like developing new offices and growing etc and we do a lot of BD me and Charlie but yeah so that was super super important because I've seen it many times where companies just fall over because they haven't got that that's still all founder led or back office right Mm. or it's outsourced Mm. and our finance was outsourced for three years and I thought that was it was doing right. you bring in someone in house who then goes wow like, where's the process? Where's the where, like? Where's the structure? Where's your end of months? And because mm. you're so focused on just getting revenue in the door, right? So that's been like a godsend for us. And the idea was was those three key hires. They're smarter than us, like way smart at what they do. They're unbelievable. You go into a meeting room with our marketing manager, and it's like, don't say anything stupid. Don't say anything because <laughs> she's so so smart, right? So that's what the plan has been this year. We've hired a chairman. I think when's this going out? Uh, be like towards the end of October, mid October. Fine, so I can announce it because it mm. comes out next week. So Mike Susong is his mm. name, ex Ranger, ex CIA. Set up one of the first cybersecurity companies in 2007. Mm. Sold it to FireEye for just under $300 million. Mm. Like the OG of cyber, right? Absolute mm. legend of a bloke. Super humble, really under the radar. Don't know what he's seen in us, but he's joining us as a chairman. And he's helping us kind of really press into the US. So he's got all the contacts in the venture capital world. Mm. And uh, we officially launched our US uh, function 1st of September. Mm-hmm. We've got two more people joining us from competitors. Mm. And we're out there in a couple of weeks. But the point of bringing someone like that in is that's a lot of clout, right? To bring mm. him in with his background then hopefully clients will be like, well, they're obviously doing something right if he's put his brand in his name against us. So yeah, that was why it's so important. We and just on that, just quickly, like yeah. there's got to be, he's got to be, there's got to be some sort of commercial interest, surely. Like if you're giving equity, equity to that person. Equity, equity yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, equity. And, so, and then he sits on your boards then. 100%. Um, and and has equity in the business. Yeah, and we give, him, we give him partnership agreements of any kind of doors he opens for us. Okay, yeah, uh, Not only, he doesn't need money, right? But I think it's only fair, right? Get some mm. skin in the game and then he's fully committed to us. I've seen it where board advisors join where there's no commission, there's no equity, mm. there's no, and it doesn't work. You don't take them seriously and they don't mm. take you seriously. So no one comes prepared to board meetings, board meetings mm. don't happen. You have to put your ego aside and also just suck it up that you're going to have to give equity away. Mm-hmm. But then the percentage that we keep will be worth way more down the line because the business will grow and accelerate it quicker. Mm-hmm. And just to touch on that, we put a, um, and same thing this year with foundations. We released an EMI scheme for the team, right? So at the moment, it's 10%. Mm-hmm. And there are triggers that you get uh, for a consultant to hit their 1% quota, right? Yeah. I want everybody to have a percent of the business. All the founding members, 
I remember, I know it's short on time, but I remember a story. I went for lunch or dinner with a client in Dallas. They just sold to a private equity firm. It's one of the ones we've done the talent as a service mm. for. I think it's off like just under 300 million. And um, I said, what was like, how did it make you feel? And he was like, eh. just like, yeah. And he's ex-US Marine, right? So he's like, I don't really care about the money, even though he rocked up in like an all blacked out Aston Martin. But he said the best feeling was 13 of their founding members instantly overnight millionaires. And he was like, they didn't come from money. And he's like, then we all went for a big dinner to celebrate. And it was like, oh, who's buying a swimming pool? Who's do- <laughs> who's taking the kids away for like a once in a lifetime round the world trip? And he was like, that for him was like the best feeling in the world. Mm. So how do I get that? How does Charlie, how do we replicate mm. that? Because that's what I want for my team. As well as being better business people, better humans, when they come through the kind of trident machine, if you're with us from the start and you kind of finish with us, then you should be getting a, bit, a chunk of change mm. for that journey because it's fucking hard, right? Mm. Especially this year. Love it. People manager, marketing, finance, chairman from industry. I love that approach. And then also then, yeah, setting up those types of things to, what is it, the long, uh, long-term long and... Uh, what, L-tips, what's, L-tips, long-term yeah. incentive plans, yeah. yeah the, the, those types of things, right, to yeah. think about. And this is, you know, you guys growing up as a business, we're, yeah. we're growing, we're scaling, and it's having these things. I really like the analogy of that, yeah, visualising a Jenga, Jenga and, like, building... Yeah, you could have just uh, gone over... Every time you add on to the top, which is a new consultant, a brick's getting taken out the bottom. Mm. Unless you've got a really strong foundation there, which is your people, marketing, finance. Yeah, love that. Josh, been a pleasure, mate. Love your energy. Thanks for really me excited to to see where Trident is over the next couple of years. Thanks for coming on the pod, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're a online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing, they're actively facing the challenges that your teams are, and a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. There's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about Recruitment Mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.